Well, thank you, Paul and Leslie, and good to see each one of you here today. And uh, our family would like to thank you for the prayers that uh, you gave in regards to the sale. Those two days of the year are, I'm not sure why, but they're a little stressful. You'd think as many as I've had that it would get easier, but it doesn't. It really doesn't. At any rate, let's take our Bibles uh, this afternoon and let's turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read just three verses today. Actually, four. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll begin reading at verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His precious and holy word, and let us just pause for prayer before we begin this afternoon. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you for truth that came directly from you. Father, it is with a great deal of joy and pleasure that we're here gathered today to worship you, to praise your name in song. And Father, as we've lifted our voices to you in prayer, through Paul, we would ask that those requests and our offering of thanksgiving and praise would be received. Father, you hear us. We thank you for just the very fact that you are God. For these moments before us now that we look with anticipation as we open the word, we would ask that you would guide our minds, our hearts, that we would be open to receiving everything that you desire for us today. We pray for those that were not able to be here as well. We'd ask that you would put your arms around them, lift them up, encourage them, as you do that with us right now. Father, we would ask that again, that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher, using the word to express the truth and take it to the innermost parts of who we are. So that relationally, we will have, a, have never been to this level before. And Father, we look forward to the day when we will be with you in heaven forever. When we've those that have trusted Christ as Savior, eternity started right there at that moment when they placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who the last couple of weeks we looked at his last journey into Jerusalem. We looked at those steps that literally led him selflessly, sacrificially to a cross that he gave himself up for to accomplish your will, to be dead, to be buried. And then you proved, Father, once and for all, as you spoke with power, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first fruits, the promise that literally we can look forward to knowing that we can have the same power one day to have a new body. But in the meantime, not only did Jesus Christ have power in the sense of a new body, but also the power that we have to overcome the power of sin. Father, the victory is ours because it's in you. 
And now, Father, these moments, again, use them in a manner that pleases, glorifies, honors you, and encourages and strengthens us. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if we, um, we took a number of weeks. I was going to check how many weeks we actually were together in the sense of studying Daniel. Uh, for some of you, it would probably be on the edge of eternity, but uh, we got through it. Praise God. And uh, it was, uh, for myself, it was a, a study that was, um, not sure exactly how to say it. it, was it was refreshing, it was enlightening, it was powerful, it was strengthening, it was a lifter, wasn't it? It allows us, and we find the world, it's amazing, the further we get on in this journey in life, it seems like prophetically those things that God saved and sanctioned, and in Daniel's case, written a long time ago, never has made more sense. And uh, when we think about all of that in the context of what we view behind us as history, even everything that's before us is history as well from God's perspective. It's his story. Some of it's unfolded to us. Some of it will be unfolded. There's no question that all of the scripture, even things that we can't see, will happen. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. And I, I'm not sure what week it was in Daniel, but it seemed that we needed to come to this point after our study in Daniel. I think it was the time in chapter 10 where literally we peeled back a curtain, if you will, or Daniel did for us, and we saw a lot of activity behind the scenes, which are still going on, even in Daniel's day. They're invisible, but it's active. The spiritual warfare is, I think, at an all-time high right now, particularly in our nation, Worldwide, and we're approaching, it would seem, well, it makes more sense. I mean, this doesn't, isn't exactly uh, fabulously thought, uh, but at the same, today is closer than yesterday to being to the point of the rapture. The tribulation is coming. We can see outward signs that it is vivid, it is real, and it probably is not very far away. But we're not going to go down that trail. Daniel found it necessary. Uh, as we closed out two, well, been three weeks ago, we took a couple weeks off for Resurrection Sunday and the week previous, Palm Sunday or Triumphal Entry Sunday. Um, we discussed that, but our last time together in Daniel, we asked why was Daniel so effective? In he was actually in he was he was high leadership in two regimes, which is totally off. That that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it just literally doesn't. You have a world power. Daniel's at a very high level the Babylonian Empire. And it crumbles on the very day of which he was still in a high position. Belshazzar calls him in and says, you know, I don't really get the hand or the fingers writing on the wall. That's really over my, over my head. And Daniel comes in and literally, he says, well, that's very simple. He said, time's up, turkey. <laughs> and so he gives him all these accolades and all of this stuff. And Daniel basically said, it really isn't going to matter. And he was so right by that night, that very night, Belshazzar's life was taken. We have a whole new world power. And ultimately, Daniel was in a very high position in a brand new world power. That, my friends, if you studied nothing else about Daniel, you would have to say, that is truly amazing. That's Daniel. 
So what was it that made him that special guy? You know, Joseph and Daniel, nothing is said in Scripture anything negatively. That doesn't make them sinless, obviously, for all men have sinned, come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. All of that applies, but Daniel and Joseph are very special. And I asked the question, and there was responses which were very right. Uh, He trusted God. He had faith in God. And if you remember from those three weeks ago, the reason he had trust in God, the reason he had faith in God is because he spent a lot of time with God. And that's what I want for us. I want us to spend time with God. And we think about the battle raging that Daniel, I mean, again, uh, there's a typical morning. He wakes up. He has breakfast. I don't know what he, maybe he had waffles. I have no idea or Cheerios or whatever it might have been. I don't know what they had, but it doesn't matter. He ate it. He went to the office. And all of a sudden, there was a coup against him. He was very high up in the positioning, and he was an elderly man at this point. He had, you know, and that's the other thing I want to make sure we understand today. Do you think it was easier for Daniel at 85 to walk the walk from the sense of the onslaught of Satan and all of his different wiles or craftiness than it was for him as a teenager as he came in the land of Babylon having been stripped away from his family, torn from those, and he made a statement. He said, I'm not going to be defiled. I'm going to purpose in my heart to worship my God and to do it his way. Do you think that got easier? No, it's just the same for you. If you think that you get older and better, temptations just come roaring on. For Paul, it was very much the same way. I'm sorry to say that, but that's the way it is. And for Daniel, on that morning when he woke up, had his breakfast, went into the office and finds out that there's a number of people that are trying to get rid of him. And they do it the way that the only way they knew they could do because he's a man of integrity. When you have a man of integrity, the only way to trap him is in his integrity. Now you know you have a man of integrity. And here's Daniel. He, uh, he watches and hears this take place. They said, well, I'll tell you what, uh, old Mr. Uh, King, uh, for one month and one month only, you are going to be God of the world. And anyone that prays to anyone other than you, O King, you mighty one, you, for 30 days, he or she will be placed into a den of lions. That was the morning workshop. Daniel had a decision to make. Just like you have choices to make. When that onslaught, that vicious attack, and it's amazing how they can come out of nowhere. Who would have thought the night before, as Daniel was contemplating that day, thinking the next morning that someone would literally place something of that nature for him to make a life-threatening decision? That's the way things come, isn't it? How do we handle those things? Well, Daniel, we know what he did. His trust, his faith was in God because he'd spent a lot of time with him. Guess what he does at noon? He does the same thing he's always done. I'm going to get with God. I'm going to talk to God about this. And he does. And, of course, you know, they're just waiting. They're thinking, you know, he wouldn't be silly enough to do it today. Well, we've got 30 days to get him. Oh, no, Daniel says, there'll be no problem figuring this out. If you want to follow me up and listen to me, you'll be fine. That'll be great. And so literally by the end of that day, he didn't go to his home. He went to a den of lions. You know, and too often in the world we find ourselves today, there's a lot of den of lions out there. How will we, how will we live to prepare and to be ready for our den of lions? I've noticed they're always hungry. (laughs) There's always, they're always hungry. 
I was thinking of that. I think that was the day in which it seemed for us being battle ready. There's a battle, and it's bigger than that. It's not only just a battle. Sometimes we think if we can get through this day, if we can get through this battle, then we've got it made. I'm going to burst your bubble. Where's a pin? Poof! It is a bubble, and it's broken because you are in a war, and it doesn't end on this side of heaven. It didn't end for... Remember what Paul said at the very end of his life? He's chained to a Roman soldier. How is that for... Isn't that awesome? And yet, the guy that was really in trouble was the Roman soldier. Because you're chained to one of the greatest evangelists of all time who's going to be talking in your whole eight-hour shift. I don't know if it was eight or ten or whatever, but you're there long enough to hear about Jesus every single day. Can you imagine the shift change there? Oh, thank heavens you're here. This guy is... And Paul is, oh, well, good to see you, buddy. Let's talk about Jesus. And, you know, who's the prisoner? You see what I'm saying? You see, that's what really victory is for us when we are in Jesus Christ. The power and the victorious spirit that literally can become ours. The whole situation, the dynamics change dramatically when we see it through God's eyes. In fact, we've said this before, I won't linger here, but the thing that is truly amazing is the fact that Caesar's household, in one of the letters, is spoken of as saying hi to the saints. That's because Paul was chained to them. Isn't that cool? God is superior. He is on the throne, and he is awesome. So today, it's more of maybe an introduction. We'll be talking about... um, We're going to come back and dig into, shall we say, more as this unfolds. But one of the first verses that we would certainly want to say is when we're in a war, there's two sides, right? And most of the time, if there's a war and you don't know how it plays out, you haven't seen the end, you don't know who's going to win. The really good news, I told you that the war goes on. The really good news is, is I can tell you who wins. If you're on God's side, you win. And no one's going to say amen. That's, I, I led you right up to it, but that, that should be amazing. If, when's the last time you've been in a war or a battle and you weren't sure who was going to win? I can tell you, if you're on God's side, you win. Amen. That's right. Revelation unpacks it for us in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. If that doesn't throw you to a new level of heightened, uh, I'm telling you what, that's, that's what it's about. That's the end. And it was because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. That whole, you talk about change the world in three days. That changed the world and everything that we can't even see. But Satan has strategy. Even though he's lost, ultimately, he has a strategy. But I'm also going to tell you that it is not going to be easy. It will require obedience. It will require tenacity on your part. The enemy is out there. He wants to thwart you. He wants to vanquish you. He wants to destroy you in any way possible. So we're going to be looking at that. As we think about Ephesians, just briefly, the first three chapters, and this is very important for you as well, the first three chapters of Ephesians is like Paul says, you know what, and he does this in a lot of other epistles. I want to make sure you're thinking right. I'm going to expose you to doctrine, which is a word that sometimes is, seems so weighty and so... Oh, but it means just good teaching. 
I want to get you thinking about the right thing so that you believe what's really true. If that isn't important today, I don't know what is. I've never seen a world right now where you have whatever mass, whatever you have for communication devices that are so filled with deception, deceit, and lies and spin, I have can't even literally imagine it. On both sides of an issue. If it's time to know the truth, it's right now. It's right now. And that's really what uh, Paul is going to be talking about. And in those first three chapters, chapters 1 through 3, he's talking about position. He's talking about thinking right. And then the last three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, are talking about practicing what you know to be true. Sometimes it's amazing as Christians too, it's amazing how much we know, but how little we grow. And do you know why we don't grow? Because we don't go. We can know it, but we don't obey it. We don't put it into practice. It's almost like uh, if you, some of us said there's a, a, we could use this as an analogy. The first three chapters of Ephesians are talking about a car. It talks about the engine. It talks about the components. It talks about the specifications. It talks about how fast it can go. It talks about everything about it. But until literally you turn the ignition, nothing happens. You can get in it. You can smell the new. You can feel the new. But it doesn't go anywhere. Until you initiate ignition. That's the key. God is the power. That's what we want to understand in all of this study here. If it's up to you, you will fail. Sorry. That's the way it is. The power in this car is based upon the fact that literally the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus Christ is the ignition power to start to end it. The last four, the last three chapters are about the roadmap. This is where you take the car. Let's get on the road and get to going. Let's practice what we know. You've heard that old statement. Maybe it even came from, this, from Ephesians. Uh, the rubber meets the road. That's what this book is about. And when we get to the last part of Ephesians, this is really important. He says, I've given you the car. I've given you the road map. I've given you everything you need to know except one thing. Finally, brethren, verse 10, chapter 6. That's where we started. It's kind of like we should have started at the front end, but I said, I can't wait that long. I got to get right in here after Dan. We got to get after it. Finally, brethren, this is the last, if you were, the last theme that Paul wants to make sure you understand. This is not going to be easy. There's someone else out on that roadway. There's someone else that's setting up roadblocks. There's all kinds of opportunities for you to have the potential to fail. If you take your eyes off of the road, if you take your eyes off of me, and isn't that not true? When we're focusing on anything other than God, I want to think, have you think about this. We may go and actually do a dial into this for a moment, but um, this is the letter to Ephesus. In fact, I want to show you something thinking about adversaries. Hold your place. It just, uh, I just thought of it. I'd written it down earlier. Let's go to Acts. No, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Just take, let me think. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, there it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and let's look at this. This is Paul responding at the end of that letter to the Corinthians. He's talking about in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 16 that he's planning a visit. But I want you to see, this this is so pertinent. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5. Now I will come unto you. In other words, I'm going, to come, I'm going to come to Corinth when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that, that I will abide, yes, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. Okay, so he's planning to go to Corinth. But watch verse 8. But I will tarry at Ephesus. 
This very letter now that we're unpacking, that he's talking about all of these adversaries, all of this final... Get ready. Get ready. This is a war. Watch what he says. I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is open unto me. Stop. Don't go any further. Stop. Don't read it. Isn't that, doesn't that sound great? He says, I'm here because the door is wide open and the opportunities are more than I can imagine. Have you ever been into a situation like that? Isn't that fun? Now watch how he ends. This is why he wants to stay. Whoops, now I lost my spot. Here we go. For a great door and effectual is open unto me and there are many adversaries. I want to be where the action is. Now, are you kind of sometimes like me? I don't really want to be in the heat of this thing. I mean, I want to be a Christian. I want to stand for God, but I really don't want to be in the white hot battle of it. Did you see Paul? I want to be where the action's at. Yes, there's a wide open door, and I know this. I know this, Paul is saying. As sure as I know there's an open door that God has placed me in, there are enemies. There are adversaries. There are satanic attacks. There are strategies to come against God's purposes and will. That is a given. Uh, as an aside, do you remember in, uh, in, back in Ephesians chapter 6, what is our position to be as we're preparing for adversaries? He's talking about preparation. We'll be getting that in a moment. What position are you assume? Stand. Stand firm. Stand. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell you to chase or to attack Satan. He will find you if you're doing God's will. Mark that for sure. Stand firm. Stay right where you're at. Keep doing what God wants you to do. Satan will come to you, and that's what you need to prepare for. That's what Paul's message. He, he, he says, oh, by the way, love to come to you to Corinthians. You're such a great place to visit. I think the world of you. Here's the first letter. In fact, I better write another one just to make sure you were listening to the first one. But in the meantime, I'm going to stay here at Ephesus. God, I'm talking. It's a wide open door, and there's a lot of trouble here. I want to be here. Isn't that great? That's what I love about Paul, man. This guy is unbelievable. Talking about the very place, the very letter we're talking about. The other thing I want to point out is oftentimes we see the battle from a physical position. And that's what I think when we talked about in Daniel chapter 10, that literally he pulled a veil back and allowed us to see something that we can't see. Second Corinthians, let's go there for a moment. This was Paul's second letter to Corinth, Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 4 and 5. We'll start in verse 3. Second Corinthians 10 verses 3, 4 and 5. He lays this out very clearly. For though, are you there? Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, and you're walking, you can see we do not war after the flesh. That's the word he used. Do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Watch. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Therein literally is the key to what is on that he's unpacked right there in 2 Corinthians, also in Ephesians chapter 6. You know where Satan's going to dig? He's going to dig right in your mind. That's where it's got to start. Because if he can compromise your mind, he is well on his way. We're going to be looking at Eve, one of his first strategies out of deception. But I think of this. I I failed to finish the question. Um, Ephesians, this letter. Ephesus, the place that 
Paul spent actually a lot of time. I, I'm not positive. I can't think. I can't remember exactly. But it's like two years of his life he spent in Ephesus. Can you imagine Paul being on board for two years? Whoa! There's some places he was there for just a week, and things took off. I mean, two weeks. I'm telling you, two years potentially. I'll have to come back and verify. But it was a, it was a length of time. He saw a great opportunity. Lots of adversaries. He wanted to be right in the heat of it. From the book of Ephesians, as he laid out positionally where they're at, and he talked about their practicality. He's given the unfolding of here's the warfare that's going to take place. These things are really important. I don't want you to miss this because this is very, very important. Finally, brethren, get ready for a war. Do you know how it ended? How do we know where it ended? Well, if you go to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus Christ gives letters to seven churches. The church of Ephesus was one of them. And I think this is another reason we're here in Ephesus. When we understand this book and what Paul is preaching, finally, brethren, I want you to get your armor on and get prepared because there's a war out there. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 for a moment. Revelation chapter 2, and if this isn't exactly what happens in almost anything that we're engaged in, I don't know what is. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, and it's the first church that he writes to. Jesus Christ, it's in red, if you have uh, a red letter version. These are words particularly, expressly from Jesus Christ to the church. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 1, write. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That's Jesus Christ. Watch. I know thy works and thy labor. And thy patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not. And hast found them to be liars. And hast borne and hath patience. And for my name's sake hath labored and hath not fainted. I mean, what does this sound like? This sounds like they've just got their head down and they are doing the right stuff. They're dutifully punching in as servants. You know any churches like that? Have you seen anybody like that? That you, Just dogged determination. Okay? Sounds good, doesn't it? Let's keep going. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Whoa. Well, that's, that, that's, that's just a few words. Do you see how gigantic that is? They left their first love. They've walked away from Jesus. Oh, they're there, but their heart is far away from him. Now, we could go on today, and I'm going to have, that's some of your assignment, is to read through the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. But you'll find another church in there that we're known for something else, actually right after this one. Because when you leave the first love, You're open to compromise. Your heart, when it's not where it's supposed to be, when it's not focused, when it's not full of love, when it's not full of the completeness of yearning for Jesus Christ, you are one step away from sliding down that slippery slope of compromise. And I don't sometimes know how to stop compromise because it's such a incline of wet ice 
You'll say, oh, just next time. I'll stop. I, I, I know I can stop next time. And next time never happens because you just pick up speed. <laughs> I remember, uh, this is many, many years ago. I actually, I was thinking because it, it fits perfectly. Um, so this is, oh, man, 38, 39 years ago is when Lisa and I first um, she actually kind of liked me finally. It took a little while to pr- convince her of that, but we were finally getting through that. And uh, so we were on this, uh, this sledding party in Paradise Valley, and we had our inner tube, and, you know, where everybody else stopped and went down, oh, no, heavens no. Go up the hill. Go more. Make it more exhilarating, more, right? Well, there was Lisa and then, uh, one of her girlfriends, Debbie, and we figured, yeah, that's good. And it, let me tell you what, it looked, this was going to be a fun one, right? First one of the day, too. There's no sense starting out weak. Just get after it. <laughs> you know where this ended, didn't you? <laughs> so we get on, and, and Lisa's on one side, and Debbie's on the other. I'm in the middle. And away we go. And it was pretty good early on, right? It was, you know, we were, it felt, it was pretty good. And then we, ooh, <laughs> And now we're like, we're in trouble here. And by the time we got to the bottom, (laughs) both girls were on top of me. And there was this huge boulder. (laughs) See, you're right there now, aren't you? I got you right there. And I hit that baby square on, and I just flew through the air. Basically, almost from this end of the room to the other one. And I have never felt that much pain before. And I have no idea what I thought about that, but that's pretty much like leading a, a life of compromise. You can't, got, you can't get off. You can't get off the track. And you start off wrong when you have your focus off of Jesus. That's what happened to, to Ephesus. That little church of Ephesus that Paul had spent so much time, had so much hope for. He talked about, and I'm going to tell you something. Ephesians to me is probably one of my all-time favorite little books. I love it because it tells us who we are in Christ. It gives us all the power, all the riches. Uh, The word he uses, dynamo. I mean, that's where dynamite comes from. That's what we really are in Jesus Christ. And it's it's so vivid. And to watch then as you flip through to Revelation chapter 2 and they left their first love. Has that happened to us? It's easy to do. It's really easy to do. And you know, it's the same thing with Daniel. You know why Daniel didn't leave his first love? Because he never stopped spending time with God. He always made time for God. And I'm sure there were some mornings he woke up and he said, Oh boy, I'm a little late. I suppose I should get. Why do I think that Daniel just said, you know, it'll be okay. I'm going to spend time with God right now. That's what it takes. That's literally what it takes. That's part of preparing for the battle. That's part of what it takes. So let's talk a little bit about the preparation. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 6, and he says, Finally, we've said that a number of times, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There's two words that are repeated. And then did you catch those? Two little, actually one little word that's repeated twice. Did you see it? I'm reading out of the King James, so it might be a little tricky. It is the word in. In. Let me read it differently. Finally, my brethren, be strong in your own might, in the power of your will. Whoa, put the brakes on, right? 
What that that is a train wreck. What is in? See, this is what the whole book's been about. If you go through Ephesians, the first three chapters, it talks about in Christ, in Him, in whom, in the Lord, in, 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 being positionally just locked on to Jesus Christ. That's the key to all of this. You have to be in Him to have any strength, to have any might. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, your battle against the world, you haven't got a chance. You literally don't have a chance because you're not in the Lord. You're in your own strength. And if you're in your own strength and Satan is the adversary, you will lose. That's not up for grabs. That's the way it is. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. This is where it all came from. This is the power that he's speaking of in verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says so succinctly, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, speaking of Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same. He was flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of the death, that is, the devil. And deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. If you're fearful over death and bondage and the Satan, your only hope, literally your only hope, and write this down, is Jesus Christ. There is no other. You have no other. There is no other escape route of any kind, shape, or form. I'm really happy to say there is one. You know, people kind of get upset about the fact that you people, you Christians think there's only one way. It's exclusive. You're so exclusive. I say, at least there's a way. And by the way, God made the way, so it's up to him. It's not up to us. There are not many ways. There is one way. Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, For I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through me. Those are his words. He meant it. And I actually have. I'm, how would you like to have ten different ways? I wonder if this is the right one. I wonder if I'm going right here. Uh, let's try that one. Uh, let's try that one. And there's a lot of people who go through life that way. Let's try money. Let's try wealth. I guess that's the same. Power and possessions and land and real estate and cars and stuff and Corvettes and you name it and all of that. Those are all ways to receive happiness and whatever it is. And you know what? They all completely 100% fail without question. That verse is very powerful. You should, if, if, if you don't know Jesus, those two things are the conquering. I'm sorry. Those verses reveal to you how you can conquer sin through him. Let's go to 1 Timothy for a moment. Uh, Timothy was that one that, that Paul was mentoring. This was toward the end of his, of his life. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. He says to Timothy very, very succinctly here as well. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 uh, verse 6. He ta- actually, let, let, we'll just start in uh, verse 3. Verse 3. First, uh, did I say 1 Timothy? I'm so sorry. 2 Timothy. I, I, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, just turn to the right. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3. I thank God. Paul again writing to his young, this young man Timothy. I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of you in my prayers day, night and day. Can you imagine? How would that be? Starting right out of the book. Verse 3. He says to Timothy, this young guy. I don't know how old he is, but he's, he's young. And he says, Timothy... I have remembrance of you, and I'm praying for you every day and every night. Paul the Apostle. (laughs) Whoa, that sounds good. How would you like to be prayed for by Paul? Fantastic. 
greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. I want to stir up the gift that God has given you. Watch verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. <laughs> and then he goes on, he really cheers them up. If you're fearful, you don't need to be. You don't need to be. And then go back to Ephesians chapter 3, one of my favorite. How, do I, how come I always say I have favorite verses? But I have favorite verses, and I always want to say it's my most favorite, but it's my fo- most favorite right this moment. Okay? Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, look at this. Now, this is at the end. What, what, now, I'm, this is a little quiz, a little quiz, a little quiz. It's at the end of chapter 3. What do we know about the first three chapters of Ephesians that Paul has done? He's getting your mind right. He's making you, and he's wrapping this thought up. He says, it's, it's like this is, the, this is the final bow on it. This is how you need to think because this is who you are in Jesus Christ. The positionally, this is who you are. And then he says this verse. Chapter 3, verse 20. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And I tell you what, if that isn't a powerful ending of a section, I don't know what is. More than you can think or ask. Wow. There's no reason to be fearful. There's no reason to lose. There's no reason at all. Ephesians, turn back one more. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. Look at this. And what is the exceeding, in chapter 1 verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power? He has power that you don't even know about. You have to be in Christ. That's how you get prepared. You literally are in him. Now, what's the, what's the, when are you the weakest? I mean, literally, when are you the most vulnerable? Now, we're talking about preparing. We're getting ready for these. He's, he, I mean, the, the, these verses are just, they're gigantically humongous in the sense of encouragement. And all the way through Ephesians, and he gets to, to chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, brethren, this is the ending moment. You need to get this. Get ready. You're in a war. You got to be prepared. So, Where's our, where's our weakest moment as a Christian? What, what's, what's, the, what's the point we can just get in trouble? Or maybe none of you have ever been in trouble as a Christian. When we're not around Christians. Yeah, and it's easier to get our minds off of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's a good point. Who are we, where are our friends? Where are we spending time? That's a really good one. What did you say, Jerry? When retired. When retired? That is a key one for me. Sometimes very late at night or early in the morning if the light went into the early in the morning. That's a vulnerable time. You have to be very careful. That, that's a good or point. Or not reading the Bible. Not letting the truth literally saturate us, correct? Okay, what else? Those are all really good answers. What else? There you go. You're getting, you're getting right where I'm at now because it's when you think you can't fall. That's the time that is probably the most vulnerable. Let's take a look at it for a moment. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. These are verses that you need to have a handle on. Um, I'm going to read on your way by. As you go there, I'm going to read Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. There was one I'd forgotten on the other. You might write it down in your notes. Uh, 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, this is Paul speaking, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Oh, man, that sounds great. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. This, is, this just cuts right through it. I'm telling you what. Uh, he wrote a lot of stuff to Corinthians in this one here. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. In other words, when you think you something, you about to be nothing. <laughs> that was a little paraphrase from, I don't know from where, somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, don't build on that. Don't build on that. Don't build on that. But that's exactly what it says. That was a little bit of Larry version going on there, right? Okay. But it's exactly true. When you really think you got it. Yeah. You don't got it. (laughs) That's your most vulnerable time. That's when Satan is looking to take you out. His strategy is fired up when he sees a confidence and a pride in you. He is ready to throw his hook. There's a temptation coming. (laughs) You won't even spot it. But here's verse 13. I mean, you talk about God and his sense of encouragement and allowing us, because we've all been in there, verse 12, I guarantee you. We thought we were ready for anything, and we really weren't ready for anything. Verse 13 says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. They're going to come. But God is faithful. I mean, look at this. Who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation... Also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, our problem is, is spotting the time to snatch the escape route. We usually miss it because we're too ingrained in the temptation because we're too completely oblivious to the fact that we're in trouble. Isn't that not true? And yet... After the fact, you can turn around and see, that's where that was at. Right? He means it. That's exactly, God, in every, not like I'm keeping track, but every single time that I've fallen, I've stumbled, God has made a way. I missed it. It was there. And sometimes, thank God, more power to him is the fact that, oh, thank you, God. That was what I needed right now. He'll bring up scripture verse. He'll bring something to mind. Boom. You know, if you do that, this is what you can expect to happen. Oh, that. Thank you, God. Have, have you ever had that happen? Absolutely. That is that verse being lived out in high esteem. But we got to be looking. What's that part of? Preparation. The way not to be prepared is to think you can handle anything by yourself. Now, it's even better than that. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because Paul, we would call him the super saint, right? He was like the apostle that was, I mean, what a guy. Apostle on steroids. Literally, he was crazy good. And we won't go into this situation, but literally he had been given. We'll start in verse 7. And there's other, there's other, you can, if in fact, for your own sake, you can start reading chapter 12 of of, of 2 Corinthians chapter, verse 1, and read this whole through. But I'm going to start in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure. What, what did we find out in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12? That would be self-exaltation, right? You think you're really on it. Okay, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. That will make sense when you read the first six verses. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you see that? Literally, God is allowing Satan to be used as a tool in Paul's life. 
so that it doesn't become too prideful. Oh my, see, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. Now, I'm, now, Paul isn't really happy about that right now because I want you to see what he does. What do you do when you have a thorn in the flesh that you can't pull out, you can't find? What do you do? You pray about it, right? Mm-hmm. Or you, maybe that's not first, but it should be, right? Mm-hmm. Let's see what he does. Paul's, Paul's recognizing this, and he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. Well, way to go. I mean, that's what I would do. In verse 9, and he said unto me, this is, this is Jesus' words, My grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect or complete in weakness <laughs> you see the weaker you are now whose might were we to be in it was remember the inwards in his might and in his power the weaker you are the more ability you have to be strong because you're going to depend on him isn't that cool that's the way to get prepared that is the way to get prepared in God's power, you are invincible. You are invincible. Now, as we think about uh, preparing, uh, it, it, and I think this, this strategy, as you think about uh, putting on armor, that's another one we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, Paul, and I, I think there's no, I mean, I, I think it really is that every morning, every night, he's chained to a new guard. So, I mean, that would be a great analogy. You know, here's a soldier. Put on the armor. Um, how many, you know, how, how effective would the uh, soldier be if we're going to war? Okay, guys, here, here, we're going to have a strategy. We got, uh, let's, let's have two sides. We're going to have the Romans and we're going to have the Greeks, okay? And the Romans are getting geared up. And their commander says, tell you what, guys, this is going to be a tough one. Don't, mark my words, this is not going to be easy. You're in it. This is going to be a big time deal. Uh, everybody, the... The pieces of armor over there on that wall, take them if you want. And you, being one of those soldiers, says, boy, they look really heavy. Looks like I'm going to have to be committed to kind of being all day with those things, man. I, this can't last too long, can it? <laughs> That's actually really good. If you take that approach, it won't be long for you. Yeah. That's a fair statement. That's really true. I never thought of that one, Jerry. That's really good. Yeah. And as I'm making, this is all being made up. It is not in my notes. So I'm going to get scary, but that was really good. So away, what are we going to call this guy? Bill? No, that would, no, 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 no. No, no, that is not planned. Who, who, everybody give your name. I'll call somebody else's name. Let's go, let's go with Ralph. Is there a Ralph in the room? No, Ralph is who it is. And Ralph says, I'm not going to take any weapons out. I'm not going to take any, any armor. I don't need it. I'm me, I'm tough, I'm the real deal. And by the way, I really don't see this enemy thing being that big a deal. Really, look at it. It's not that big a deal. I'm okay. And there's, there's places to hide. There's places to run. I'll be fine. Does this sound how we kind of attack the world system? The society that comes, just comes. And it, have you noticed? You don't have to go to the world. The world comes to us. Right? You don't have to look for peer pressure. It comes to you. Well, we've already decided, because Jerry's tuned us in, Ralph's life's in severe danger. Because a soldier without armor, he's dead meat. It's not going to work out. It would be just like a, uh, a football team. Oh, guys, you guys are the best. You're, you're the best. I know you're the best. We forgot. 
Okay, we'll go with equipment. I was looking for shoulder pads. That's what I was looking for. We forgot the shoulder pads and the helmets. But you'll be okay. What if God would have done that? Oh, by the way, I forgot the shield of faith. I forgot to give you the truth. I forgot. We'd be dead. Right? So why do we think that we won't be dead if we don't take his stuff? You see what I'm saying? Sometimes we're so flippant about being prepared. It's so true, isn't it? And then when we get whooped and we turn around, huh, why didn't I? Have you ever said that? Why didn't I? Of course you have. It's because we didn't put our arm. And here's the other thing. There's some sense. I didn't see this till this week in study. It's not like putting the armor off and taking it off, putting it on and taking it off. This word has a sense of finality, the way it's stated in the Greek, <laughs> in the original. Put it on and leave it on. Because all of those things that we'll be talking about, we're going to talk about those as we go on, the shield of faith. Why would you take that away? Why would you take that off? Without faith, the fiery... I don't want to get into too much, but you see what it is? Put it on and leave it on. It's yours. It's custom fit for you. Right? This is, this is, it's amazing what Paul is lining up for us here. Good stuff. Um, the other thing is... That, oh, I know. I know what I was going to do. Okay. So... In preparing for the enemy coming, we usually would have, what would we do? Okay, we're, we're inside a fort, and the enemy is going to be approaching us. We've heard our intel. We've had some scouts out there. They're coming, but we don't know when. So what would we do? What would be the logical thing for us to do? Post a guard. Those guards, their job is what? What is their job? This is very, very important. What is a guard's job to do? To alert. To look. Now then, let's say we have guards on a watch and, and we have maybe three or four of them from all different directions looking. And this, you can tell this is not uh, a war scene from today because there's much, you know, the surveillance techniques and all of that. But it, it works for what I'm up to, okay? So the guard on the, on, the, on the south wall looks out and he can see in the distance. They're coming. What is his job? Oh, you mean it's not to take his pistol and run down there and take them all on by hand, but one at a time? Right? What do you do? What is that guard supposed to do? Tell the commander. Tell the general. When you see problems coming up, when you see a challenge, something coming on the horizon that you can't handle, go to Jesus. Tell the commander. That's exactly what a guard would do. No guard in his right mind would literally take his 38 caliber pistol and go out and meet an oncoming army. It will be the last time he'll be a guard to follow Jerry's previous insights, right? We're going to get slaughtered. You see, you see this? This is all about preparation, getting, getting our minds right. That's what we talked about in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to see something else. Uh, there's, here's a battle. Now, this, this would cause fear in most of all, the entire nation of Israel. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. This is exactly how a guard would see that. A guard would never see the war or the battle as his. He has a job to do. He has the sense of alerting the commander. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to cut right to the middle of this. Again, I uh, apologize, but if you'd like to go to chapter 17 later today and read the entire chapter, I certainly would, would welcome you to do that. But let's go to uh, verse 44, and you'll pick up the story. You'll know exactly where we're at. The Philistine, verse 43 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, 
The Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with sticks or staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Small g. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air to the beasts of the field. Now stop for a moment. you got a guy that's about, what, nine foot or something? I don't know. Where's nine foot? Is that... How's that? Is that about nine foot? Higher. Hi. <laughs> you are such a nice guy. Okay. There. Okay. That's nine. And so, so now, by the way, all of Israel is completely just melted into a puddle. Their courage is gone. It's, it, it's, it's dissipating, evaporating. There's nothing left because this guy's been doing this for a lot of days in a row. He said, come on down. And by the way, every day he gets a little closer and, and, and taunts them. And all of a sudden, finally, David shows up. He's bringing the food, you know, some cheese and different things to his brothers. Kind of make, you know, that's what you do. You, you encourage the troops. And they, he's listening to this. He's saying, so what's the problem? Why would you say that? Why would you want to be engaged in the war? Because it's not yours. You see the difference? You know when Paul said, hey, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. He said, I'm going to stay here in Ephesus because there's a huge door open and there's a lot of adversaries. Do you think he wants to fight adversaries? No, it's not his battle. It's God's. In fact, watch what he says. This is how David responds to this oversized runt. 1 Samuel chapter 17 And then David said in verse 45 to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So far, You're saying, this is one little windbag. But watch what he finishes with. Verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. (laughs) You see, when that war comes to you, proper preparation is to make sure you know whose battle it is whose war it is. If you're going to try to take it on in your own strength, you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. That's why sometimes, and I've heard this said, myself included, in our, in our world today, and we look at all of the lies and all of the deceptions and all of them. I mean, I, I was in a conversation today with a gentleman. He was driving and I was feeding and we were just talking about the fact. We, we're now in a land where evil is called good and good is called evil. How did we get there? And it has to do with truth. It has to do with truth. The perception of truth today in America is this. In this room, however many people we have, let's say it's 30 people, whatever it is, you can all have your own truth. That's what's being taught. That's what's being purported. In the last 50 years, somehow we sold that bill of goods, and that is from hell. That is from Satan's very strategy. That is from his backpack of ideas. If everyone has the right to have their own truth, then any, quote, truth is acceptable and we are doomed. That's how we arrived here. And the only way to break that is to literally break the spirit, the will of a country, so that we see God for who he is. And we go back to his principles. We go back to his words. That's where we're headed. You cannot go down this trail where good is evil and evil is good. 
In fact, the scripture says of that in Isaiah, I failed to remember the verse, woe unto the people that say evil is good and good is evil. That's where we are at in America today. We're, we're, we're playing out our demise in our own hands. That's what Romans chapter 1 is all about. I'm going to give them over. Go ahead, smart guys. See how that works out for you. Right? It's crazy. God's in charge. When will we follow? When will we follow? David, the, vict- the victory was his because he saw the battle as being God's. Let's go back to Ephesians we should probably set that clock for your sake. It says it's only like 3.30, a little bit past. So we, we've got time we haven't even thought about using. Watch. Somebody's up there right now turning it. Yeah, they're fixing it right now as we speak. This won't happen again, right? Okay. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, let's watch. Now, not only we prepare, but we are to put the armor on. And, and, we, and we're, we've talked about it, but I'm going to probably just leave it there because we're going to talk a lot about it. But it's not just put it on, but leave it on. Leave it on. Leave it on. Let's talk about the enemy for a moment. Let's talk about the enemy. We find it in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, we were told to stand firm, not to attack, but to resist, and he will flee. Now, 52 times in Scripture, you'll find the word Satan used. Can somebody tell me what the word Satan would be defined as if you see the word satan you think bad you think evil but what does it really mean i'll give you a hint this is this is a little clue for you so paul says i'm going to stay in ephesus because i'm telling you the gates are open the doors are and there's a lot of adversary that's exactly what that word satan means he is your adversary does that not add up perfectly he hates you he is your adversary he's your enemy and not Always in disguise. Either sometimes he comes on strong, sometimes he is disguised. 52 times in Scripture he's called Satan. There's 35 times that he's called... I mean, I'm going to work this the other way. I'm going to, be, I'm going to trick you a little bit. Uh, this word means slanderer. Again, doesn't that fit him marvelously? In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said, You are of your father the... Oh, I just about gave it away. That was terrible. Oh. Man, I just set it up. The devil. Devil means slanderer, liar, father of lies. lies. And particularly in John 8, 44, he couldn't tell the truth if he, you know some people like that, don't you? (laughs) I can't even deny. Yeah, there we go. I mean, this is a real picnic we got going on here, people. This is right. That's exactly right. There are people living today that cannot tell the truth. They can't. It's impossible for them. They can't do it. Satan, they, they learn that from their father, Satan. He cannot tell the truth. It's impossible for him. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12 for a moment. I want you to see this. Um, now, there are people that say Satan doesn't exist. The devil, he's just, that's a, that's a Halloween costume. He's got a fork and a, and a fork tail or whatever else he's got, and he's painted red. That's, that's just a figment of your imagination. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12 for a moment. Revelation chapter 12. And let's find out what actually is described for us here in verse 7, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Both of those. Again, what does that word devil mean? 
Diablos, what what does devil mean? Slanderer, he's a liar. And Satan, which would mean adversary, your enemy, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out. It's very descriptive of this one called Satan or the devil. 35 times in scripture he's declared to be the devil. Now, it's interesting that literally for someone that doesn't exist, Jesus speaks of him. In fact, we saw him and we'll see him in Matthew chapter 4. I think I'm going to wait for a moment as we, uh, we, we move on to our next section. But uh, Satan is very, very active. There's no question about it. He tempted Eve, Genesis 3. He tempted Christ in Matthew 4. We found him to be the father of lies in John 8, 44. Oh, I want to show you. He's also really, really good at imitating. He's really good at an imitator. See, he doesn't, he doesn't usually announce stuff like, oh, by the way, I'm coming in now. My name is Satan. I want you to know I'm here. I'm in the room. I'm going to try to deceive you. Get ready. Of course not. He's too cagey. He's too systematic. He's too strategic for that. He slides in under this veil of, let's watch, let's watch this. Let's watch this. I don't know how many times I've heard this. Uh, where did I tell you to go? I haven't yet, have I? Second uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Second Corinthians chapter eleven, and uh, first of all, we'll look at his description of the word that was used for Eve and Satan. We'll be going to that in Genesis three here in a moment. Second Corinthians chapter eleven, and verse three. We'll start there, but that's not where we want to end up. But I fear, Paul saying to the Corinthians, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve. Through his subtility or craftiness. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That is exactly, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Do you know where Satan always wants to start? Your noggin. He wants to get in there because if he can get in there, he's got you. He does it through a lot of ways. These two ears, these two things you got on the side of your head, he loves to use those. Those are his, one of his favorite ways of getting into your head. Now, look, let's t- turn to the same chapter, verse, chapter 11. Turn down with me to verse 13, and let's watch this. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan, see, there's that guy, that adversary himself, is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, his servants, those demons, those that are also transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I can't tell you how many times people have said, oh, I, it, was like this, it was like this angel of light. I mean, it was just from God. Excuse me? Do we need to read that again? He's an imitator. He's great. He can make people think what they think they saw, but it's not what it really was. I can name cults. I can name them here that really, literally, their whole doctrine is based upon, we, I got this because I, I saw an angel of light. Now, that verse is very important. That doesn't prove anything because Satan's really good at being diabolical in the sense of deception. He's really good at it. He's an imitator. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. What really is the time frame? Anyway, I probably be cognizant. How much? 442. 
Oh my goodness, we've got time we haven't used. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it says that we henceforth, did you find it? Ephesians 4, 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait in the year 2021. <laughs> that verse is perfect, though, isn't it, for 2021? It's crazy, isn't it? Nobody knows anything about anything, for sure, I don't think. Last I heard, it's amazing how Satan not only is a liar, but he also denies a lot of things. He denies the deity of Christ. He denies salvation by grace alone. He denies the second coming. He denies judgment. He denies sin. He denies hell. He denies things that God says are real. Yeah, that's exactly where we're going to go next. He sets it up perfectly, doesn't he? Um, let's, let's actually think about... Now, I'm, I'm, we're going to look at one strategy. We'll try to do it rather quickly. And then uh, somebody tell me... Well, I guess I don't know what to tell you there. At any rate, um, let's think about Satan the deceiver. The deceiver. We talked about John 8.44. We just looked at deceiving Eve. Well, let's go to Genesis. While you're turning to Genesis, I, I want you to see now we have... Two people, man and a wife, husband and wife, I should say. God has brought together the beginning of a family. And Satan, from a distance, sees these two in a garden, the Garden of Eden. In fact, if we were to go to Ezekiel chapter... I always get them mixed up. Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel chapter 12. I don't know which one. Which one is which? It talks about Satan and it talks about him being in the garden, being in Eden... Literally, pride is the thing that he bought. He thought he could be like God. But let's look at his target. This deceiver sees an opportunity to try to deceive. He loves to deceive. That's, his, that's, his, that's one of the greatest tools that he has. I'm sorry, that's one of his greatest principles he wants to deceive. So he targets the mind. Hold your place here and let's turn back. I missed one. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Look, uh, Romans chapter 12. This, this is another verse you should know. 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'll read it and you don't have to go there. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now watch verse 2. And be not conformed, squeezed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Back to Genesis chapter 3. See, if he can get a hold of you to believe a lie, and then he can begin to work on your life to lead you into sin. His target is your mind. How is he going to do this? Well, let's read the passage. Genesis chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1, and we'll read the seven verses, and then we'll come back. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now, we've already got a problem, don't we? He's already imitating, he's masquerading as something he's not. At this point, that serpent would have been standing upright, which is very weird to us. I'm going to just tell you this much. If I see a rattlesnake standing up six foot tall and he's talking to me, I'm out of there. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's a warning flag. That's a red flag, right? So apparently, a serpent speaking to you was not weird. Not so weird that you didn't listen, okay? I don't know about that, but at any rate. So he uh, says to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. 
For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, that your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, did eat, gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open. They knew they were naked. They sold fig leaves together, and they made themselves aprons. Those seven verses, my friends, have caused more harm, more pain, more excruciating of every imaginable thing that I can speak of. In just those seven verses, it took literally seconds to read to you. It was horrifying what the results of that were. Did he win? I'm speaking of Satan. Yeah. He, that, on that battle, he was big time. I mean, how much preparation had Eve and, and, and Adam done? And you say, well, wait a minute. You know, God didn't really tell him that he was coming. Do you, do you see, how, see how easy it is to put blame out there? Kind of that, well, I can't believe God didn't tell him to watch out for this guy. Here's the key. Don't miss it. God did speak to them. Let's watch what he said. Go back to chapter 2. And we'll start in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, verse 16, chapter 2, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Now, do you think that Adam got that message? You better believe he heard it. He heard it. But did he do it? See, how much did he adhere to it? See, sometimes it's us to read read the... How many of you read the Bible for 15 minutes and you went off and if somebody would give you a little pop quiz, what did you read? Uh, it was uh, it was really good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you guys can laugh with me because I've done. I've had to say, stop. I got to go back. I got to read that again. I've actually been on my way out of the house. They said that was pitiful. I didn't get anything out of it. Let me go back and I want to read it. And then and then I'm tuned in. Okay, I, I'm. It's embarrassing, but it's true. It, it's not that amazing how the mind at all times he'll throw something at you. There'll be a diversion. There'll be something that it happened today as I was studying. All of a sudden, out of nowhere comes. You know, problems, situations that are need to deal with tomorrow. And you have to say, no, stop, stop, stop. This is about studying the word of God, giving your message, Father. May it go away. And we sometimes have to do that. We just have to just just stop and say, hey, we have to we have to clear the screen, reset, reboot. Okay. I don't think Adam really got it completely did he hear oh sure he did he knew it because you know why we know he got it because the woman told the serpent isn't that isn't that cool so he had told honey wife now you see now i read that purposely because it seems that god told the man and then god said you know it's not good that the man is alone i need to make a helpmeet But who told the serpent what God had said? The woman. So Adam had heard it. He had told Eve. Do you see that? But here's we got in trouble. When we don't pay enough attention to what God really said. Well, his weapon today will be lies. There was three steps 
that he took with Eve. Now, again, how would you formulate a plan? You have a man and a woman. Probably hadn't been here very long because you wouldn't want to let a lot of time get by. You would want to take advantage of the situation. Since you're an adversary, that's your goal. You want to immediately get on target. You want to take them out. What would you do? What would be your plan? Okay, now set it up. Now, again, I, it's hard because we weren't in the Garden of Eden. But think, can you think perfect garden? No weeds, people. A gardener's perfect. I mean, like you plant it, it grows. You plant it, you don't need to water it. You plant it and it produces with no weeding. That, that's about as perfect as we can get, right? It's, it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, you don't even get the wrong seeds. And if they are, they grow up beautifully anyway, right? And they have everything they need. That's, I mean, let me say that again. Let me say that again. This is where we as Americans have gotten in trouble. We have everything we've needed. And then so. God has blessed us. He's blessed us immensely. When was this nation the most Christian-like, the most God-fearing, the most interested in God's purposes and will? When we had nothing. When those forefathers were willing to, to literally shed their blood, and there were those that did at the revolution, those are the ones that stood firm and said, give me liberty or give me death. Those are the ones that stood firm and says, I want to worship my God freely. Today, that's not even a popular theme. You see, we've been free for so long and have been given so much, we don't even understand what we have. How would you attack? <laughs> He's doing it the same way today. He's doing it the same way today. And listen carefully. His game plan was to come to Eve and somehow come across in a way that God really was holding out on her. He wasn't giving her everything that she deserved. He wasn't really being good enough. And he probably couldn't be trusted. Is that not what's going on in our world today? This strategy that's in Genesis chapter 3 is being used every single hour of every single day in the world we find ourselves living. Are we prepared? There's three steps that he used. Three steps. First of all, he questioned God's word. Let's go back to our text, another text. You're saying we've been here for weeks. Genesis chapter 3, and he says this. Um, all of a sudden, just out of the blue, he shows up and he says, uh, say, um, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of every tree in the garden? In other words, saying that you should have the right to eat out of any tree in the garden. If, you know, if you're really, if God cares about you, if he really loves you, wouldn't you be able to eat of every tree in the garden? That's an interesting point. Right? I mean, she's, she's, she's taking that in. He's questioning God's will, or God's word. He's questioning that literally behind it is God really treating you well enough? Is he treating you good? I cannot tell you how many people get off on this. Not when, and you, you know, there wasn't like, hey, hey, hold on, Mr. Serpent. Wait a minute. God has given us everything we need. We're very thankful for what, did you see that? There was not that word there. I'm not sure they fully even understood it. It was so good. You know, you have to be, you know when you're most thankful? When you've lost something. Uh, David White says this frequently when there, he, he goes into a rescue mission on tornadoes or hurricanes. He says, when I'm there in the midst of that, you know, handing out food or, or, uh, or water, whatever, he says, almost everyone that's been afflicted the most says how thank, thank, thankful they are for the little things, you know, for the food, for the water. See, that's what, that, that's what happens when we have too much for too long. 
we fail to be thankful. What's the holiday that, I even hesitate to say holiday, what's the one day of this year, that, of this uh, calendar in America that's just literally evaporated? We call it Turkey Day. Can't even say the word anymore, right? It's like it's against the law to say Thanksgiving. I will tell you this right now. When we lose our focus, when we lose our taste for Thanksgiving, then we are right on the edge of where Satan will prove to us, prove in quotes, that God's not good enough for us, not good enough to us. That's what's going on in Eve's mind right now. Yeah, you know, speaking of which, huh, okay. So he questions God's word. He questions his goodness. And then his other step was he denied God's word. We'll get back to how Eve responded because she makes some mistakes as well. But look at verse 4. After she responds by what God had said, the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Now what is that? That's straight out denial. When you can question God's goodness, you're ripe for the fact of denying his word. You're, he lied. Because uh, if you're not good enough to you, he certainly he, he would lie. And his third step, literally, is he substitute his own lie. He says in verse 5, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods. Now that's a heavy lie. And that's the one that really, really got her. That was the one that... See, Satan actually believed the greatest lie the universe has ever told. He told it to himself, and he bought it. I will be like God. Talk about prideful. Talk about miss it. Talk about never get away from it. The angels had one shot. Those are his three steps. He used the same things again today. He questions his word. Questions his goodness, if you will. That's what I should say. He questions God's goodness. He denies his word. And then he substitutes his own lie. Now, Eve made three mistakes as well. It's amazing how we fall into this pattern. Her first mistake was the fact that she took away from God's word. Let's read it again. Now, you guys tell me. What I want you to show me now, there's three things. I want you to show me where she took away from what God had said in Genesis chapter 2. We read that. That's what God told Adam, right? Verses 16 will start there. Now, she responded back to the serpent, to Satan, and she left something out. She took something away from it. Okay? Let's see if you guys can, if you can pick it up. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. I'm gonna, I can't stand it because you had the right word. Let's find it in verse 16 of chapter 2. Just hold that and let's go back to verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest... Freely eat. That's a good one to leave out, isn't it? Doesn't that sound like God is really literally giving them everything they could possibly need? Isn't it amazing how we forget what God said when we really don't want to remember what God said? She took away from what God had literally said. She left that word out freely. But she also added. She added to God's word. was her second mistake. But the fruit, verse 3 of chapter 3, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, we doing okay? We doing okay? That's right. God has said, you shall not eat of it. Is that okay? Neither shall you touch it. 
that's not okay. <laughs> In other words, did you see how she's buying totally into what, to what Satan is selling? She says she leaves out freely, but she adds, not only can we eat it, he won't even let us touch it. <laughs> how did that look back there, folks? That was bad, I could tell, because you're really laughing up here, right? <laughs> but not, did you see how she bought into this whole thing? God's not good to us. He won't even let us touch it, right? Why would you say that? Isn't it good enough for God to just say, don't eat it? Why would you want to touch the Fuji apple if you can't have it? Because she's, she's bought into what Satan's laying down. He has her mind right now. He is deceiving her. Now keep this. This is very, very important. God still said all he needed to say to be obeyed. Really, literally, when Satan came with us, hey, God has treated us with unbelievable graciousness. She wouldn't have known the word, but I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying it would be something along this line. We have nothing that we need. God has shown his love for us. I can't tell you how much I love my husband, and I can't believe how much my husband loves me. He's made us, he said it was very good. This is a great place. Now, she wouldn't know what a weed was, so she couldn't have talked about that for a moment, but I'm telling you, there's nothing that she would, you, you get it? But she bought into what he said. That's the same lie that he tells everyone. Look at the sense of entitlement in the nation today. Oh, we deserve that. We deserve that. I can't believe I don't get that. I should get another unemployment check. I should give it a house. I should have a vacation. I actually heard this. I don't know if it's true. I should verify it. But somebody told me that a family of four, husband and wife, that normally would work right now are not working because of COVID. If you took all of the benefits, you lumped them all together for a family of four, two kids, a husband and wife, it would be $150,000 a year. See, we can't sustain that. As a people, now I'm not talking about, I'm not, forget about finance. We've got some serious consequences in this nation of America for where we are in the trillions. Trillions are an unimaginable number. It takes a thousand million to make one billion. It takes a thousand billion to make one trillion. And every one of those one trillions is a thousand billion. And I've lost track of how many trillion we're at. It's thought that with all of this, I don't need to depress you. It's up to $145 trillion potentially that we are really in hock for. That's unimaginable. But what's even more bothersome to me, it's not the money. It's the fact they expect to get that money for doing nothing. That is literally the same lie that Satan sold Eve. You can be God and do nothing but eat that fruit. Sells the same stuff. It, isn't it amazing? All of those years and he still sells the same stuff. His, his backpack of tricks is really not that gigantic. He pulls one out. Oh, this will work again. Let's toss that out into the group. Oh, look at that work. It's fantastic. Deceive their minds. We're going to have to move on, aren't we? There's one other thing she did. She took away from God's word. She added to God's word, but she also changed it. She changed it. Let's watch carefully now. It says, The fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Um, do you want to see what God really said in that term? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, and let's read it in verse 17. 2.17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. No touching there. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, 
thou shalt surely die. <laughs> There's no question. Did you see the things she left out, the things she added, and the things she changed? Do you see how dangerous it is to take God's word and not know it clearly, concisely? She was in his hands. God accomplishes his will on earth through truth. John 16, 13. Thy word is truth. Do you know how Satan accomplishes his purposes? Through lies. Today, Satan's lies are being propagated and purported through the United States of America through lies. We've lost our way of interpreting what's being said in a truth or a lie. And I've already said why I don't go down that trail. But we've fallen into the very game that we've wanted, and that is that nobody's ever wrong. And so now we can't tell the difference between truth and a lie. So therefore, Satan's tactics, his purposes, are being more fulfilled than ever because they don't know that it's not truth. Is that not true? Again, I think we just have to come... God, God, do what you need to do. That's all I can say. Do what you need to do. Because Satan's purpose... And we'll, we'll leave it with this. Um, literally, so he had, a, he had a weapon. It was lies. His target was the mind. What's his purpose? What, what is, why, did, why did Satan... Why did Satan draw Eve away and, and get her to eat an apple? One more time. Okay. And so that's what, that's, that's what he told her. He said, you know, if you eat of that, you know what? No. You're going to become like God and you're going to know the difference between good and evil. Okay. I think it's deeper than that. Jealousy, that's another one came with it. That was part of the package deal, wasn't it? Okay? Those are, those are, those are all good answers. To corrupt he God's hates creation. Okay, okay, exactly. And what, how, what, would be the, what would be the absolute best way for him? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it. I just about gave it away. I'm so good at giving it away. He doesn't want anyone to know God's will. He does not want anyone to know God's will because there's a chance if somebody knew God's will, they would do it. And the best way to not have them do it is to not know it. And the best way for them not to know it is not listen to his word. Now, God is full of promises in his scripture and he wants us to know his will. He wants us to understand his will. He wants us to enact his will. He wants us to depend on his will. Everything about God is the fact of us being in his will. We've talked about this. The sense of blessing really lies within the circle of obedience. Your will, I'm sorry, his will is accomplished when you obey him. And that's how he blesses you. When you don't obey what he's laid out, guess what? Did, did Eve have a problem understanding the plan here from God? No. That's why there was judgment. That's why there was no blessing. That's why they were kicked out of the garden. And praise God they were because there was another tree that they, if they would have eaten of the tree of life in the garden after they sinned, we would be doomed. God couldn't have even saved us because we would have been in a perpetual eternal state of being in sin if they would have eaten of that tree of eternity or the tree of life. 
thank goodness that he kicked them out, guarded it, and the next time you see it, you know where you find it? In the end of Revelation. When we'll be in heaven, we'll be partaking of it. It sounds like pretty frequently. Do you see how gracious God is? It's amazing. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Satan does not want you to know God's purposes. He does not want you to know what God wants to do in your life. He does not want you to be investing in doing God's will. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2.17. We'll start to wind down here. As you're doing that, what is our weapon? Do you know that Eve had enough of a weapon to totally dis... I was going to say de-weaponize Satan, but what was it? What if she hadn't deleted what God said? What if she hadn't changed what God said? What if she hadn't did she and added? You know what? That would have been sufficient. If she would have just taken God's word, left it at what it was, everything is done. It's the same for us. We need to be in God's word. We need to let the Holy Spirit utilize, utilize the truth to get us out of those dangerous situations that literally are just ramparting. They're just coming at us all of the time. Where did I tell you to go? First John chapter 2. Let's do that. First John chapter 2, verse 17. <clears throat> oh, there's another one I was going to share with you too. We're, we're here. The world passes away, the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. <laughs> do you think Satan wants you to know the will of God? Not a chance. Now, turn with me. This will be our closing uh, Closing verse, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I've failed, I've lost some battles, I just, I, I don't know, I, I just, it just, there's almost a sense of fear, there's a f- sense of trepidation, there's, I just can't, you know what, listen to this verse very cl- clearly. 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is victory. That is everything you need. You have no reason to lose. You have no reason to fear. Jesus Christ is in charge. Jesus Christ is fully and completely on the throne. God's word is our way to battle it. Um, I was just, I I happened to think while I was up here, uh, most of you know Benito. He's been with me, I think, 25 years. He handed me, and I don't have that note with me, but he, he handed me the, the name of a, it would be his, the pastor of the Baptist church that his wife and family go to, and this pastor's name is Benny, okay? And he has a daughter that's 23 years old, and I, I, I don't, it's not Colleen, it's, it's something else, but just, just say Benny's daughter um, she's been in the hospital with very serious complications. Started with lungs, and I don't know, actually, but she's actually served as a missionary um, serving out of that church. But Benito came to me today and he said, would, you, would your church pray for her today? Yeah, we will. Absolutely. Isn't that cool to have for Benito to come to me and ask? That, I think that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So pray, and I, I'm sorry I don't know her first name, but God does. God does. She's in the hospital. He actually had a picture of her, and he said, Larry, not only is it, is, it, is it a difficult time where the doctors don't really know what to do, but there's no insurance, and the, the, the hospitalization bills will be gigantic. We don't even know. He says we're waiting, and that's the word he used. He said we're waiting to see the bills to just see how we as a, as a family. And I'm, see, it's pretty cool to watch how Benito has grown. I mean, he's... That, in that, that, that's a God thing, isn't it? It's really cool. So please, uh, we'll, we'll be actually, as we close today, we'll be praying for, for that young lady as well. 
any questions or comments today? I mean, we're, we're going to be engaged in this study for probably, I'm going to say six to seven weeks probably. I mean, there's a lot here for us. And this is really, this is our, our preparation, the tactics, the toolbox for us living today in this world. Because I hear it all the time. What can I do when it's all messed up? What can I do? What can, and you know what? We're going to see what we can do. And in God's hands, it's really powerful. If there's not, let's just close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for all of your truth, all of your word. And we think of the tactics that we've seen, just one here in the sense of Satan's love for deception, loves to use lies to get into the minds of men and women. Father, our world is very conducive to that presently. It's open to almost anything because we won't stand on truth anymore. We no longer know the difference. Father, may that change. May truth prevail. May truth reign on high. And ultimately, Father, we know that that's what will happen. We know every knee shall bow before our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we're here because we can count on that happening. We can count on it because you're an awesome God. You're the God that used the power that's available to us, literally it says in Ephesians, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the same power that we have in the battles as long as we're standing and staying in your might, in your power, then our weakness becomes your strength. Father, we're here and we're thinking as well of this young lady that's in a hospital today, has been there for a period of time. And Father, I don't know exactly what's going on, but you know, Benny, you know the pastor that's been serving and ministering to that little Baptist church for Benito's wife. I think of Rosalinda today and their children, and I pray for Benito as well, Father. I don't think he knows you personally, but every single day going by, it seems like you're just walking him down the journey. We'll lift him up to you as well, but Father, this young girl, 23, 24 years of age, that is has been working for you, as even Benito said, she's been in the church from just a little child, always wanting to serve you. And regardless, Father, we know she's safe in your arms. We know nothing can keep her from you. But Father, if it would be your will, we would pray that you would give the doctors and the nurses wisdom and that you would be the great physician in healing her on this side of heaven. But Father, use it to your glory no matter what, because she's safe in the arms of Jesus. What a precious thought that that really is. We pray for Benny, though, and his wife and the rest of their family and the turmoil and possibly, Father, the financial obligations that would rise as a result. Father, you please work in hearts and lives, particularly that Jesus Christ is raised in their minds, that Jesus Christ would be seen as the one that saves from sin, that Jesus Christ can be counted on, that he can be trusted that truly faith in him is the only way to access grace, which is the only way to be saved. Now, Father, we thank you for all of these that are gathered here today, of those that are listening to my voice, wherever it might be today and wherever it goes, Father, that again, that you, Father, would be glorified. You would be raised up and the Holy Spirit would utilize the words of, your, of the truth to literally change and maneuver and motivate lives. Father, thank you for the strength that is in Jesus. Thank you for the strength, the resurrection power once again, Father, that literally changed the world. Go with us. Show us what you want us to do, the journey one step at a time as you unfold our lives. Help us in the battle. Help us to see, to be prepared, and to come to you and report. May we put on the armor that you've provided. And, Father, as we learn about that, shape our minds, 
tune us in. Help us to be focused. And Father, of all, above all, Father, not as the church at Ephesus, but may we not leave our first love. May we remain focused on the one that saved us. Father, we're here with anticipation and gratefulness, enjoying your grace, your mercy, thanking you in advance for what you will do this week because you are on the throne in charge every second of every day, of every month, of every year, for eternity. That's the God we pray to, and it's in Jesus' name we'll pray it. Amen.